Welcome to the Therapist on Fire podcast, where I interview leaders in allied healthcare, entrepreneurs, and those on the path to financial independence. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Therapist on Fire podcast. I'm so excited to be here with Erwin Seguia. He is a SCS, CSCS, and Doctor of Physical Therapy. Yep. And he is super unique in the fact that he knew from day one after graduating that he wanted to start his own private practice and he has full-fledged accomplished that. So he's going to share with you everything you need to know, the ins and outs of starting your own practice, even as a new grad. Welcome, Erwin. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, let's get started here. And I want to go through, we sh- you know, we talked before and you shared you know, the story with me, but what was your thought process of even just starting to think about having your own practice? Um, what's funny is that I spoke, I just spoke at the NYPTA special, uh, student special interest group yesterday on starting your own practice with my, with my business partner and girlfriend, uh, Rena. And, uh, this was one of the questions. So, uh, in terms of realizing that I wanted to start my own practice and, and, and go off and do my own thing, uh, there's a lot, there are a lot of barriers. There's a lot of barriers in terms of, um, you know, mindset and mental and financial. And uh, I think those are the two ultimately the biggest barriers. So for one, it was, um, where do I start? Um, Where do I start? Do I start with, okay, do I need to make sure I have enough money to jump off and, you know, sustain myself if I decide that I want to start my own practice? Do I, do I start with a name? Do I start with, um, you know, how do I want to run this practice? And it was a lot of it kind of started. I basically just, you, you said it very well, um, better than I could have said it myself. And the fact that I knew from once that before I even graduated actually, so we'll amend that a little bit, but before I, before I graduated, I finished my first orthopedic affiliation at school in, in graduate school. And I realized that I, I knew at some point that I either wanted in the after the in the first five years after practicing, I either wanted to be managing or directing somebody else's practice, or I wanted to be uh, in charge of my own show. And so, the first when I put together my five year goals, which I think I is super important for any 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 practitioner or any individual. I think having five-year goals is a really important plan, whether or not you're in healthcare, you're in fitness, you're, you know, you work in peds, whatever. Um, you need to understand and have those goals. And so I think five years is a perfect milestone slash timeline that you can set up mini goals basically, or even like micro, uh, micro or even macro goals in that five-year plan. Um, to work towards. So for me, the end goal at, after five years was, okay, I want to direct somebody's practice or I want to start my own practice. Uh, the next step I think was on top of getting over where do I start was, okay, well, how do I get there? How do I get, uh, how do I get to this end goal? So is it, for me, it was, I kind of broke it up into multiple chunks in the sense of do, uh, um, for me, I wanted to be either an SCS or an OCS because what I believed in that at that period of time was in that period of time was okay well if I have these uh, one of these clinical specialties it's going to help me establish myself as an authority 
in, in whichever sense in sports or in orthopedics. So I had set a, like a two to a three year goal for that, a uh, two year goal for that plan after I graduated from school in 2013. That was one of my mini goals. Uh, another one was at the time I, my first job was I was working in a high volume clinic, a mill, and I used to see anywhere from four to six clients a day, which was super, it was busy. It was a lot. It was a lot. And I knew that my next stepping stone or my next job was going to be something where I would be able to learn the skills to start my own practice. So I found myself after my first job at a, an awesome startup practice in time, based out of Times Square in New York City, uh, that where the owners basically took me under their wing and they showed me how to run administrative stuff in terms of booking, in terms of uh, having those comp heavy conversations when you had to convert somebody for a phone, um, off of a phone call for an email. They showed me how to bill, how to put together a super bill. And all of those things kind of ended up falling into place where that was they they fell in line with what I wanted to do. So you could also say that I kind of, I also planned it out that way. Uh, I like to think I got lucky, super lucky with the places that I ended up at in the sense that they were all very crucial in my development and getting me to the spot where I am today and understanding how to deal with insurance or and why I don't deal with insurance uh, on, in a, on a direct basis. So uh, yeah, the, I would say the best place to get started is start with, start with a goal, a five-year plan, uh, and then you can set intermediate and long-term goals based on your five-year plan. I know it's funny that you bring up, um, you know, career choices and like setting how like important it is to have like a specific um, position first and that will build into your, you know, that helped you build your practice. This is a common theme that I've had with several other therapists when I've interviewed them is mm -hmm. that they actually learned from the practice and then they took what they learned and they put it into their own practice. I had yeah. a, um, the canine PT on and he was doing the same thing where he, he worked in a setting all about, you know, working with animals and he learned from them you know, how to run the practice, how to bill, how to call people, how to build a, patient, a, a client list. And then he grew his own practice. And I think that's so important. Yeah. You know, it, it's just one of the great ways so that you're not as lost, you're not as confused and you can see the model and then just, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to create your own model, copy that right. model if it works and do it again. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. How did you scale it? Because I know that when we talked, you said at first this was sort of a part-time business and then you've been able to scale it now to being full-time. How do you go about doing that? So the scaling, so I started, it literally, the practice started as a nameless practice. We bas I basically ran everything personally and Rena ran everything on her end. Um, and we were basically individual proprietors. So, uh, we practice in New York City, in New York State. the The state practice law says that you can uh, you can see somebody for ten visits or thirty days, whichever comes first. But there is a statute that says you need a certain amount of hours underneath your belt in order to be eligible as a practitioner under direct access. Uh, access. So the what had helped was I had chatted with a lawyer, and uh, we kind of got around that by. Uh, base, I basically told people, uh, anybody that was interested in coming to see me to go get a referral from their doctor and then they could come see me. So I kept all of those on file. 
And so it wasn't the best way to start, I don't think, but, um, but I think in the sense of when, and I have these discussions with new grads and um, student PTs that are like looking to jump out and do their own thing, there's, there's this kind of fine line, especially as a practitioner and when you're doing stuff on your own, as opposed to like doing stuff in a big clinic where you have a mentor or you have other colleagues to bounce ideas off of, there's this sense of almost like it's, you have this like overwhelming sense of, of, I wouldn't say importance, but you are, you're the head honcho. People are coming to you for your advice, your, uh, and your expertise. And so that experience is something that you really can't get unless you start doing it. Unless you, you know, end up finding a part-time job per DM, at, you know, working at a, uh, at a clinic that fits that model that you'd ideally like to get into. So that's usually the best piece of advice that I give to new grads that are like, Oh, well, I want to start my own practice. I'm like, okay, well go find, go find a place and work per, per DM for, uh, what's it called for seeing clients in the ideal business model that you want, because, uh, it's especially in New York city, you know, the market's a little bit competitive, but it's very hard as a new grad to come out of school and find, you know, an employer that's willing to take you on with very limited clinical experience, even though not to say that you don't have experience because we all do affiliations, but, um, there's so much that if I could go back in time and, t and mentor myself as that first year student, I would have so many conversations absolutely differently. And there's, it's, you know, you can't, you can't teach, uh, you can't teach experience and you can't, can't teach time. Right. So, and it takes time to build a lot of the things that you see on a day in day out basis working as a, a seasoned clinician. So it's like, there, there's a risk to reward there and there's a little bit of, well, if you want to do it, you've kind of got to jump in, but there's definitely safer ways, safe ways to jump in it. Like working for, for example, uh, two of the jobs after my first job working at a high volume clinic or a mill was working through, uh, I worked in a clinic based out of Times Square where we, again, like that, that clinic in Times Square where my, the owners basically took me under their wing and they showed me, okay, this is how you bill out of network insurance. This is what you do when you call and you want to get out of network benefits. This is what you do, uh, you know, when you have this heavy conversation that you need to figure out, um, you know, in, in terms of trying to get somebody, convert somebody into coming in for an evaluation. So uh, there are plenty of ways to learn the best ways to actually learn. And uh, I said this yesterday at the NYPTA panel, uh, at, the, at the private practice panel, if you're practicing safely and respectfully as a practitioner, in the words of one of my favorite professors, you are not gonna, and that client or patient doesn't leave you feeling worse, then you've done like no harm, no foul, essentially. So, uh, whether or not it's if you can't answer a heavy question uh, in the sense of, or if you can't, uh, if you can't give a patient a direct answer on timeline, on diagnosis, on, uh, you know, on specific things and t being honest with them and saying, I don't know the answer to this right now. Let me get right back to you. That's much better than blowing smoke and having, you know, potentially putting a client or a patient in danger or even at risk of, of more injury because you were afraid to save face. So, um, yeah, just be safe and respectful ultimately. 
Well, I think, you know, coming back to where you said there were so many things you do differently, I think that's a really important point. To, there's a couple of points, you know, when you were talking that really hit home to me is, is that as a new grad looking back, I wish I would have asked so many more questions to my clinicals and to my professors. But I think we're so focused on, you know, getting the A's and passing yeah. the tests and doing this Mobrite that we forget yeah. that this is a very humanized practice yes. And, yes. and actually running the business is almost more difficult sometimes than being a clinician. And so, you know, if there are any new grads or recent graduates here, you know, take advantage of the time you have with your professors and with your clinical affiliations and just, you know, ask them not just about how do I do this MOBE, but about you know, their setting, do they like their setting, what to do differently, you know, yeah. and, and if you're interested in like Irwin running your own practice, start that conversation now. Um, yeah. The other point that you brought up, I think, you know, we talked about scaling is that I actually think you did it really smart. So I commend yeah. you. I know that you would have changed some things, but you oh. did it from like a very, very safe and smart perspective. You know, I'm very, I'm very risk adverse. And so yeah. for me, graduate, <laughs> all these new graduates, they're like, I want to start my own practice, yeah. big shiny lights, but, yeah. but test it out first. And the way you test it out is by working in a setting and following an owner that is running their own practice. Yeah. And I like, mean, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's, there's, so somebody was asking, like, somebody asked us in the panel yesterday, like, well, what's, you know, when's the right time to jump off? Or like, what do you think, uh, is the best way to go about starting my own practice. And, you know, for you, like you just, you said what you hit one of the buzzwords we were talking about yesterday in terms of risk averseness. Um, it's really risk to reward, right? And it depends on how willing you, you are to take risk on. So, you know, for me, uh, I normally wouldn't say I'm very risk. I would normally say that I am risk averse. Like I'm very, ca- I'm very cautious. I'm very calculated, but for me, when I got out of school and I started pitching to all these uh, CrossFit boxes in New York City, I was like, uh, and I got turned away from all of them. I was like, oh man, this is tough. Like, where, where am I going to start? And, you know, I was lucky enough to, to hit it off with two, biz, two of the gym owners. Uh, one of them, two of them we still work with and we still keep in great touch with CrossFit Dynamics in Astoria and uh, CrossFit Concrete Jungle in, in, on the Upper East Side and in the Bronx. That they appreciated our va- like the value of physical therapy, but I changed my whole perspective on how I had to approach these gym owners. So it turned into, it turned from, hi, I'm I'm physical therapist. Do you need a physical therapist on staff? And I literally had somebody tell me, no, thanks, you can leave. Uh, one one CrossFit gym, uh, that was the nice way of them putting it. Uh, and then until I came to Dynamics and uh, Concrete Jungle, but I had off, I like sat there for hours. I would work a 40 hour a week job at my full-time job come back to the clinic, uh, come back to the, the gyms, have office hours, getting, I basically try to get as involved as possible in the, uh, into the community. And then I started seeing those clients. And so it turned from like, you know, one client to two clients to five clients. And I was charging at the time I was charging 90 bucks, a hundred bucks, uh, and then eventually in terms of, to go back to your original question in terms of scaling, the, you know, eventually your time becomes, uh, your time becomes scarce and your time becomes much more valuable than it really, you know, 
uh, your time becomes much more valuable, right? Because there's only so many t hours in the day. There's only so many notes you can write. So, you know, there was a time where I was like, okay, well, my rate is 150 now. Um, and appropriately scaling through that. And while I was holding these hours outside of my full-time job, you know, Rena and I would have these discussions. All right, well, is there is it an appropriate is it an appropriate time to raise our rates? And so, you know, one fifty ballooned to two hundred to two fifty. Um, and there's like a little side story there with you know how we had to change our branding and marketing because people were having a problem with two hundred fifty. Uh, but to go back to uh, the original point in the sense of being risk averse, uh, risk averseness is different for every individual. And so for us and for, for, um, for match fit, I was like, uh, you know what? I am, you know, I'm in my late twenties. I was 20. We we're yeah. 29, 29 at the time. And it's like, you know what? I, we don't have kids. We have, a, we have a dog. We have a very safe space, like in the sense of, uh, we have a good apartment. It's, we're not paying a ton of money. So why not? Uh, and the, the risk for us was like, well, I mean, especially for most practicing physical therapists or even new grads, like what's the worst essentially that can happen when you start, especially because you can always go back to a full-time job. You can always find a per diem to, to pad those things. You can always come up with other things to help, uh, to help that inflow of cash because our profession is so, 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 so broad and we can do almost anything in the sense of, you know, each broad path of physical therapy through cardiology, pulmonology, uh, neurology, peds, geriatrics, uh, you know, sports. So, you know, you can serve, you know, I was talking with a bunch of uh, students yesterday, you could be a consultant for a team, but also be a branding consultant and work per DM as a clinician. So we get one of my pet peeves kind of is, especially with our education, we get kind of pigeonholed into this like, oh, you need to work in a hospital or you need to work for an outpatient clinic. Uh, and that's what, and that's only when you can be like, that's the only way to roll. But we, there are a lot of PTs out there. Uh, Shante Colefield, the Move in My Show, for example, who like treats like, treats as a clinician maybe like, I think when I, when I, was uh, sharing space with her in New York City. She was only treating one day a week and doing awesome stuff for rock tape. Uh, Zach Gabor up in Boston with um, with the Level Up Initiative, like works full time as a clinician, but spends the rest of his time running stuff with like pain science and doing stuff with the Level Up Initiative. So there's if like one of the best pieces of advice that I got before you know before we started Match Fit was. If there's something that sets you on fire and like really gets you hyped. So for me, it's, you know, helping other PTs and other students understand what it is to develop a brand, which is what we do with our branding initiative through match fit. Um, like that's, that gets me hyped. So like having discussions with other motivated physical therapists that really are looking to enrich themselves and grow, not just as clinicians, but also not like non in non-clinical skills because you said it earlier, uh, PT is an art. It's a very human art. And 
just because you have a 4.0, you know, GPA coming out of PT school doesn't mean you're going to be the best clinician. Uh, and this is coming from me. I'm the worst academic ever. I, <laughs> I, I will freely admit that I fell asleep in the back of, of, of classes in school and everybody would just tease me. But I mean, uh, I'm not the best clinician. I do my best. And when I can't do my best for, for my clients, I, I have to refer them somewhere. I have to push them on to somebody. So uh, those are skills that I learned not in not just in school, although my school was a very good foundation for a lot of those skills. Uh, the, there's a lot of things that we can learn outside of school that are really important to us and, and to all of our personal growth, essentially mm-hmm. as clinicians. I'm pretty sure you're a great clinician. Thank Come you. on. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I like to keep myself humble though. <laughs> well, I really want to talk about the branding actually, because when you were sharing yeah. your story about how difficult it was to connect to the CrossFit gyms, I think that's a huge struggle. So many people have. So share yeah. with me sort of the, how those conversations went and the thought process for like reinventing <sighs> physical therapy. Yeah. Yeah, I so the I remember the first time I walked into one of those CrossFit gyms. Uh, I believe it was CrossFit Upper East Side, or it was CrossFit Metropolis, um, which is on the upper, which is also on the Upper East Side. Uh, I walked in. That hi is the is the gym owner here, and the gym the gym owner was the only person in the gym. I was like, yeah, I'm a physical therapist. This is what I can offer to you. And he like his face immediately changed, and I was like, how does what is all right? So you know the conversation didn't go very well. He was like, sorry, not interested. Thank you. And I was like, oh, but this is what I can offer. He's like, yeah, no, thank you. I don't see why I need to have a physio on staff. So you know, turn me away. And it happened basically three more times. There were not, I think nine, gym, nine or maybe closer to 10 or 12 gyms in New York city. But it, I had to go through this process and Reno was there with me where we were like, what do we need to say? How do we need to phrase this in the sense of, of providing that value to uh, these gym owners and having a physical therapist on staff. Because at the time we thought our business model was going to be something like Kelly Surrett's. So Kelly Surrett is like, you know, supple leopard, like slash like mobility wad. He's like the big dude. Um, At the time, this was 2013. And we were like, nobody's done it here. We tried to, we looked through the market. We looked at every CrossFit gym. There was no PTs on staff. We were like, this is our in. And we found that nobody was interested until we hit those last two gyms, but we had to refine our pitch. So whether or not it was optimal timing, whether or not it was personalities, um, we, by the time I got to CrossFit Dynamics in Astoria, you know, it's the end of it. I was like, crap, I don't know if this is going to happen. I was like, all right, let's just see how it goes. And instead of opening up with, hi, I'm a physical therapist, I was like, hi, I want to have a conversation with you about your injury rates at your gym. I want to have a conversation with you about how many clients or, or, or um, members that you have that can't train right now. And so all of a sudden, this this initial, like, no, thanks, we don't need you was like, oh, well, how do you know, like, why are you asking this? Like, what is your, you know, what, what are you getting at? And when we were able to finally open that first door, it was like, oh, you're a physical therapist. I've worked with physical therapists before. I, I appreciate the value that you bring, you know, 
that you can bring to our practice. So there was, again, there was that learning curve and being able to say, hey, like if you have us on, our sta- on your staff or even on your website, that elevates your gym status this much more, you know, X amount more. And uh, CrossFit Dynamics at the time had a bunch of athletes that were going to uh, the Northeast Regionals and to the, they sent a couple of teams to the games. So they were a very prominent gym and for us to be able to like finally knock down that door and cross that barrier and, say, and have them appreciate our value was awesome. So, um, and the same thing with, uh, with Concrete Jungle on the Upper East Side. So I basically would spend like, 60 plus hours or so 40 hours working full time and then like 20 plus hours just like hanging out and like talking to coach trying to talk to coaches and uh, obviously there are things that I would change if I could if I could go back in the sense of uh, coaching myself so uh, there was this overarching theme that we noticed which was nobody understands what what physical therapy is um one of the the bigger milestones uh, right after we had started Match Fit was, um, I, I, and we were talking about it before, where we hit this kind of wall with our with our uh, hourly rate when we had moved up to two fifty, and we were having problems converting clients uh, that were on phone calls. They were like, "Yeah, I need physical therapy. My back is um, like my back is excruciating. I can't do this, this, and this." And so we're you know, we would talk with them about the process, you know, we would take them through part of our user experience. And once it came to numbers, they were like, or the, the first, the, the dreaded question was, do you take insurance? And so that was one of the barriers on top of 250 an hour that we had to, we had to crop, had to figure out a way to climb over. And so when we really came down to it and we talked to a lot of our former clients, uh, a lot of those potential clients that were gracious enough to answer our questions, even though they decided not to work with us, is that nobody understands what physical therapy is. Nobody understands. We get put in this box. Um, once you mention physical therapy in the sense that, okay, PT is passive modalities. It's ice, it's stim, it's uh, heat packs, it's ultrasound, like all of the useless malarkey that's out there and that some clinicians still use. And obviously there's always a reason there should be a rationale, but that's a massage also like PT is automatically equated with massage. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we were trying, we tried to figure out a way or we were confounded honestly in terms of what can we do and what can we say and how can we change the way our like outward face to have people understand what this value is. Um, so the, the milestone after this heavy conversation was, or the next steps after this heavy conversation was, okay, well, let's hire um, a PR firm that works in sports and uh, they work with a lot, uh, a lot of female athletes. Uh, shout outs to BG Media. Um, they uh, were awesome. They were super helpful and they helped us build our first iteration of the website, uh, our, uh, our website, which is, which is actually not what you see now uh, at masteryofperformance.com, but the doing our market research and looking at a lot of the other clinics in New York city. So we looked at spear, we looked at professional, we looked at star um, and some other small clinics, but there's this like very flat kind of baseline with a lot of these clinics where everybody has a white background. Everybody 
everybody wants these like clean cut lines and it's very like look trying to look very friendly and you know rena and i had to come back to the drawing board and when we looked at what um what some of these uh firms had helped us with and we were like this looks like everybody else like how do we how do we change that uh basically visual experience uh and what that took us down was this long long like three month hole of like basically learning how to rebrand and brand um and so what we did was or what i did was i basically googled i researched i pulled books and I did everything I could to learn about what makes effective branding. And this is basically the, the, this was the foundation of the branding initiative that we have. But what's so important is that we didn't really have a focus for our, for our ideal client. And obviously there's an argument for that with a lot of people where they, where they say, well, don't you want a wide niche? Like, cause you want everybody, but yeah, sure. I mean, every treating everybody is nice, but, uh, you know, Rena and I sat down, we were like, who is our, who are our ideal clients? Like, who do we want to speak to? And long story short, that set the impetus for, um, you know, the athletes that we work with and the people that drive us the most, the people that we get super hyped and super stoked to come into the office for, or like meet them out on the field, uh, are those athletes that we have to rein in are the athletes that are really motivated to do the work that they want. So we, you know, with the business model that we had, we were already seeing one client a week. And for us, and especially in mills, like if we're charged uh, versus mills, like if we're charging a high uh, hourly rate, most people are motivated. Those clients were already motivated enough to do their work outside of, outside of the clinic. So I'm not going to see somebody two to three times. But if they're doing their homework and we're staying in touch over the phone, like FaceTime, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, which is essentially telehealth, uh, I can manage, I can still continue to manage their care, even if, even though I see them one time a week. Well, I think branding, one, go and look at Irwin's so website. Your website is killer. Like, I Thank love you. it. I, I love it. That. You, yeah. You, it gives like a tone right away. And I think that's what yes. when I was researching a little bit more about you for the podcast and we talked about this. It was like, it was like, you could tell that it was like serious athletes. Like someone yes. got on that and it was right away. Like these guys are no BS. They're for serious athletes. And it yes. was almost like subtle though. Like yeah. it was very subtle. So I think that your branding initiative was very smart, very savvy. And Thank you're you. so right. Like you, you want to have a broad enough, topic but you also still want to have a niche because you have yeah. to somehow stand out amongst all the other clinics all yeah. the other practitioners if you're Absolutely. just like everyone else then what's the reason why they should choose you right so your website shows that you're like focused that you're highly specialized for athletes so as yep. an athlete i'm going to choose you over joe schmo's mill practice yeah. exactly so branding's a no-brainer branding is um, a no-brainer yeah <laughs> Now, I know there is so much to talk about for like the exact steps to start a private practice. So yeah. I'll maybe hone it in and say like, what would be like the first three steps that you would want someone to take if they wanted to take a leap and start their own practice? Uh, so this is basically what I talk about in the first couple of modules of the branding initiative. So uh, one uh, step. Yeah. So three steps, I think. Yeah. You can have more. I'm just trying to narrow I'll it. I'll stick with three. I'll, I'll, I'll stick three. I'll stick with three. Uh, 
step one, find your five-year goals. So um, you can you can divvy that up into five, three, one um, quarterly, monthly goals, depending on what you're looking for. Because if you have that five-year goal, um, pardon me, it takes at least one year for you to get most of those certs, so especially a specialty. So a year can change, like things can change in a year. So, you know, especially with the variability in our profession, like there's not just, there's not just students that come straight from undergrad. There are, you know, people that are changing careers. There's single moms, maybe single dads, uh, you know, stuff can change in a year. So there's enough time and enough leeway that you can still change the degrees of course, but still end up close to where you want to be in that five years. So for example, for me, again, my five-year goal was, uh, my, uh, my professional goals uh, basically were to be directing or managing somebody else's practice. Year two was, uh, year two and three was get my SCS and SCS or OCS and, uh, Find a find a practice or put myself into a practice where I could learn those skills in, in, on the back end, and so everything kind of just fell into place, like work worked into plan, and then match fit came around year four. So we, you know, I hit my goals a year early, and uh, but yeah, so having those five year goals is really really important. I would say step uh, one of the the second bit of information that would be super helpful is ask questions. Ask a lot of questions. Uh, there is no such thing as a dumb question because especially in business regarding legalities and finance, like starting all of the, uh, all of the financial stuff, um, or even like clinic cl clinically, like running that business, uh, running your business clinic as a business rather, uh, is there are so many things that you can learn. Be, be a sponge, absorb as much information. I think this is probably piece number three too, is absorb as much information as you can read everything and not just clinically, but non-clinically. So, uh, you know, a lot of self, uh, self-improvement books or even like finance books, uh, things about management, like learning how to manage and interact. Um, business, those, business, lots of business, business books, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, it's, there's so much out there in social media in terms of like the information that you can absorb, you know, Gary V is, I'm not a huge Gary V fan. He puts some good stuff out there, but, uh, sometimes unsustainable, uh, you know, Jerry Durham, uh, Dave Kittle and Ron Vining have a really good cash based group. Aaron LeBauer, uh, Greg Todd, like all of them have very good information out there. There's a lot of stuff that you need to sift through, but the more you see, all of a sudden you'll see a lot of these trends and especially as a physical therapist, like that's something that most of us should pick up on. You'll see, Oh, well, this is something that I've heard before. Um, you know, there's, there's always different iterations of things, but just ask and as much information as you can. That's probably one of the, the best way to start going about things. Uh, I guess the last thing that I would probably say is you're never going to feel 100% ready. Uh, when I decided that, it took me a, a very long time to decide that I was ready to leave my full-time job because having that full-time job makes you feel so secure in terms of benefits and having a regular income, but there are ways to transition. Um, and Gary V, this is one of Gary V's biggest pieces of, of thing. It's kind of mildly nihilist, but at some point you're going to die. Uh, 
you know, and like the last thing for me and it, and it really rung home for me is I don't want to regret anything. The last thing I wanted to do was be in a clinical job uh, in a mill or a job that I really didn't like for five years or 10 years and then hit this, hit this plateau and under, and just wonder where all the time went and wonder why I didn't chase that dream. So there are so many opportunities for us as physios, as strength and conditioning coaches to strike out and do really cool things. Um, and you shouldn't let that hold you back because you can always go back to that full-time job. You can always take a part-time job to take stuff on, or you can invent the, the next best thing, you know? So, uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. Um, mindset is huge. Also, that's probably, that's the last thing mindset, have a really good abundance mindset. Yeah. I, I could talk on, on and on about this. <laughs> no, no, those, that's a, those are three excellent, good stepping stones for anyone wanting to start their own practice. And also I'll get to the, at the very end about some links, but if you have any more questions, Erwin is the expert. So contact him. <laughs> One last question before we get to how people can connect with you is like, what are some of the top like tools and technology that you use to scale your practice and get noticed? Scaling our practice. Or just um, growing your practice, having your Yeah, practice. no, no. Um, so Google Suite is a really good place to start um, because I get, I, you know, as physical therapists, the answer is always it depends. Uh, but the, in my opinion, if you are looking to limit your overhead and at least start with, you know, some documentation patterns and, uh, you know, templates, Google Docs, Google Sheets and um, and and the the essential basically the essential Google Suite is a great place to start. Uh, we ran a lot of our notes and our documentation through Google Docs and Google Sheets. We ran invoices through Google Sheets. Uh, Google Calendar was a great way to send out invites and make sure that clients knew when to come in. But there was a certain point where you know, uh, automating things makes things just much easier because your time again becomes much more valuable once you start seeing more people. So Rena found Jane app. Rena loves Jane app. Rena does, does the back end. I do all the branding and marketing, but, uh, obviously, you know, both of us had the, had the chance to demo it, but Jane app is really awesome. They're doing a lot of it really cool things with it in the sense that now you can start taking payments. You can send invoices through Jane app. Do, you can do all of your scheduling, documentation runs through there, billing. Uh, we don't do direct billing to insurance, but they li they've linked up with a company that does uh, insurance billing. So if that's your jam, great. Uh, whatever you can do to make it as easy for you as possible, but also if you need to save money, because if you're a startup and you're bootstrapping, which we did, because uh, we don't have any investors, uh, trying to minimize your overhead costs is really, really important. Uh, in terms of scaling for, uh, like on the marketing and branding end, we had we had a lot of experiences. Uh, I had hired a friend who tried to help me run Facebook ads, but we didn't have the website set up. It wasn't the op most optimal setup. Uh, I would say finding somebody that you trust slash you um, that you trust slash you like their branding and their marketing reach out to them uh, and ask them questions. And if not, they can at least refer you to somebody, whoever did it for you. So for us, it was, I literally picked up books on, uh, there's a book called Contagious. 
uh, I can't remember the other one. There was another one that was called Growth Hacker Marketing. I think it's by Ryan Holiday. But I did all of my reading in term, a bunch of reading and a bunch of research into branding and marketing because it's something that lights a fire in me. Uh, and I tried to take that and run with our model and like figure out who our ideal client was and then start to put that together. So sometimes some people don't have the time for that. Maybe you need to find uh, a branding and or marketing uh, agency or some like a friend. Uh, and if you're trying to cut costs, maybe you do have a friend that's really, really good at it. You can trade physical therapy services for that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, ask that. And it comes down to asking, like ask everybody questions about who did their branding. How did they learn about it? Because most people are awesome and they're going to give you their, they will willingly volunteer information without even, without any money. So ask that the worst thing that happens is they say, uh, I don't know. Let me refer you to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> the best tool is a friend or a network, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. The reason that we're in this position now is because I was able to put asks on Facebook and on Twitter. And all of a sudden I didn't realize that I had so many friends that were so supportive and so willing to help. Yeah. That's good. Oh, that's, well, that's good. I'm glad that there's support. That's what we all need. And I think that's another good thing quickly to bring up is like find that support and those like people that are going to pump you up and, and make sure that you have that great support network too. That's really, that's very, very important, especially in business and, you know, starting like founding a startup because there are a lot of downs. There are ups, but having the right mindset, but also having a really good support network, whether or not it's your significant other, you have really good friends, uh, you have colleagues, you have mentors, you have your family, because it's going to get tough. There are really rough times. And so having the right mindset and the right support network makes such a difference. And speaking of that, Erwin, if people need support and need to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do it? Yes, reach out to me, uh, Erwin Segia PT, uh, and you can reach out to us at MatchFit Performance. My direct email is Erwin at MatchFitPerformance.com. Uh, I love helping people out, and if I can't help you, I will send you to somebody that probably has a better answer than I do, but branding questions, like having, like figuring out where to start in the first place, uh, you know, actually putting together the startup, finding a lawyer, let me know. I will, I will try my best to put you in the right direction because this stuff gets me so hyped up. And if we can, uh, especially with our, the match fit ethos and, and our manifesto, if we can get as many physios to go out and change the, the, the landscape and practice ethically and practice awesomely, then that's, all the better. So yes, please reach out to us. Uh, well, Erwin, thank you so much for being an amazing guest and sharing so much information. If anyone has any questions, you can go to debtfreept.com slash podcast and all those links to contact Erwin and uh, this video and anything else about Erwin will be there. And you also have in the podcast as you listen to his direct contact info. Um, thank you so much, Erwin, and I'll talk yeah. to you later. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for your time. Bye. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the Therapist on Fire podcast. You can find the show notes, corresponding videos, special offers, and more at debtfreept.com slash podcast or on our Therapist on Fire Facebook page. 
This podcast is all about igniting the passion within you and helping you become a financially free, location-independent therapist entrepreneur. So don't forget to subscribe to hear more amazing episodes and leave a review on iTunes so that more people can become therapists on fire and change the world.